This episode of Let Me Tell You Something was recorded before the tragic events of this week and the passing of Jay Briscoe. Our thoughts are with his friends and family. Grabber fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Melt to Five Star Project, the show in which we're desperately trying to catch up to the year that we're already in. As myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co host, Simon Cross, work our way through every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we're in the higher territory tonight. It's not a mere five star match that we're talking about. No, it's a trilogy capper, and it's a trilogy capper of two other matches to be given five stars. And this one was even better in the eyes of Dave Meltzer, and that meant it warranted a five and a half star rating. Whoop, whoop. Simon, who are we talking about? Where are we? And what are we talking about? We're talking about a match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships taking place at Final Battle. And it's between the champions, champions of several promotions throughout the course of 2022, except the one they're primarily hired in. FTR and the Briscoe brothers. We're back at it again. Now, I, I was thinking of a meme I have seen. It's like this this cartoon villain and this group of friends trying to take him down. It's like, uh, we'll defeat you with the power of love, friendship, teamwork. And then it cuts to the fourth guy who's just got like a mace and is dripping blood all over him. And he just says, incredible violence. And it cuts back to the villain and he's like, oh, I see you've got someone new. And he's like nervously sweating. Now, the reason I bring that up is that the theme of this match is definitely incredible violence. <laughs> and I guess the theme is also welcome to our world. I think it's been said by many people that Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman are up there amongst the best announced teams working right now. And it almost seems a shame that they're not commentating maybe AEW Rampage instead of where they are going to be, which is on a pay-for streaming service that not many people are going to bother paying for. That would mean less Excalibur for me, and I'm not comfortable with that. I think it'd be good for Excalibur to have less of Excalibur. That is true. (laughs) But also Taz. Less Taz. It's amazing that his voice doesn't go from sounding like yours did in November to what yours sounded in late December (laughs) in the space of one pay-per-view running down of the card. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there is only one man that could really, like, run it down that quickly, and unfortunately he's passed away recently, Don West. But yeah, Excalibur's a sight to behold, but you you are right. You need to wrap him a little bit in cotton wool. He's very much in the announcing red zone. Yeah. Caprice Coleman sums it up brilliantly. In many ways, you could argue that he gives the game away from the start, where he says that FTR are like Bret Hart, and the Briscoes are like Terry Funk. 
Yeah. If it's a straight wrestling match, you favour Bret Hart. But we're in Terry Funk territory today. I can't remember. Wasn't there a call when they came out, the Riscos came out, and then someone went, one of the two went, it's their blood jackets. They wear those when killing animals. I'm like, well, well, I wonder how this is going to (laughs) go. It's a great line as well. Top five dead or alive, which I was looking into, which was a promo he made like back around 2016 or something, say that they, as a tag team, are in the top five of all time. That's what he's saying, like both people that are still around and people that have long gone. It's such a great line. Ultimately, they are the great act of Ring of Honor. That has been where they've pretty much based themselves, both through decisions and their, uh, made by them and made for them <laughs> over time. But and, and this is the 13th time they win the tag team titles. And it won't be the last time they win the tag team titles, I imagine, by now. But it's one where it's like, that doesn't sound so bad when you consider this is over a 20-year stretch. <laughs> that longevity is insane. Well, to be fair, they were 18 and 17 when Ring of Honor started. The storyline in the first few shows was that Mark was literally too young to get a license to wrestle in Pennsylvania. So he just was on the outside whilst Jay wrestled singles matches and would make fun of him when he'd lose. So that then when they had a show in Massachusetts where Mark was allowed to wrestle, he had to wrestle Jay. Ah. Jay was fed up of his shit. <laughs> that that sounds like a peak sibling storyline as well. Because <laughs> they're so close in age as well. Literally, there is only like one year between them. And Jay said, I remember listening to him getting interviewed on The Art of Wrestling, the Briscoes. And Jay saying that, like, that moment when it was like he was 14 and Mark was 13 or something. And, you know, up to that point, the one-year gap is significant. Just reading to Malcolm Gladwell's uh, The Tipping Point about sports stars and the what month they're born. And it was like, Jay was always his physical superior. But there came some point, like, when they were 14 or 15 or whatever, and that Mark was finally sort of coming to an equal setting. And Mark, Jay was like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> This dynamic is no longer in my favour. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of thankful that me and my two brothers have a slightly distant relationship and that I had a five-year gap between the uh, the next oldest. Because <laughs> there might have been some ass-whippings I was due in return that never came to be. Yeah. I- I'm minded of Brock Lesnar talking on Pat McAfee when, it is, when it's like siblings and fighting. When he talks about like... When Brock finally like pushes back against his siblings and his parents apparently just cracked a beer and was like, yeah, this just needed to happen. Well, what needed to happen for these two teams for them to work out their issues in a bloody violent brawl. So this is the trilogy capper. Interestingly, the shortest of the three. It kind of needed to be. Now, I, I love a dog collar match, but it, it is a constraining gimmick. The choice of who was chained to who I thought was very telling. It was the A versus the A and the B versus the B. I was wondering if they were going to do something clever with it and have the chains interlocked so literally all four of them were tied up. But that could have caused all sorts of chaos, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, you're already handicapping yourself. Don't go to that level. That You're starting to sound like TNA with the electrified steel cage there. No, but opinion. I don't know if it's handicapping. I think that allows for more creativity because the first one was like a straight-out, simple hard-hitting tag team fights so it was like it was like a, a an intent it's fought with the intensity almost of this match but within the confines of tag team wrestling the second match is the epic it's the back and forth longer storytelling slower slowed down everything building up and 
And this one is just, it's almost a sprint. I kind of wish it was shorter than it was. It goes 22 minutes. I kind of wish it had maybe been 18, 19 minutes. Especially coming towards the end with the big moves and everything. And and with how early they all go to blood. No, I think they're all bleeding within like the first five minutes. And also it has one of those things that I've just never, I always find it hard to engage in matches where there is more than one thing going on. That's why I never really loved Anarchy in the Arena. And I always argue that like, how can you say it's a five-star match when you've probably only seen like 75% of it? Yeah. And they, they still structured it in a way that there was like, those things always work more with the live crowds. So that's why I always, I think a lot of the ECW for me never quite translated Watching it on TV, I imagine being in the ECW arena for a lot of those shows was an incredible experience. And if I'd have experienced that, maybe I would have had more affection to ECW than I did. But it's like, one of the problems I also have with those things is that so much of the time, it's like, you know they haven't planned out loads of spots. And I'm not saying that all matches have to have planned out spots, but that's usually what you get with the FTR. And instead, what they're going to do is just punch each other, walk around, punch each other, walk around. Because they don't want to necessarily draw too much attention away from the other person, you know, that, that half the crowd is going on. So it just becomes almost like improvisatory, almost like those those bits between the Royal Rumble between entrances. Where everyone's sort of sitting down on the edge kind yeah, of thing. Obviously there's more action going on, but it's not action that has any... Consequence. Consequence, yes, exactly that. That there's things that will be set up because there's stuff you need to remember that was being done in that moment. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, really. I, I, I think the way they structured this match of like not really having a consistent through thread, and you know how much I love the term connective tissue, I think you get away with it in this format because it's the whole story of we wrestled them once, lost. We wrestled them in a two out of three, lost. But okay, we've lived we've lived in their world. Like they're they're comfortable in their world. They need to live in our world. But I think that is conducive to the chaos in here. And I think it's one of those occasions where lack of chain wrestling sequences or a limb being worked fits the story. Yeah, I'm not I'm not criticizing them for not having chain wrestling, as it were. Although there is wrestling involving chains. Oh yes. I'm not criticizing it for that. You got to you got to mark a match for what it is, not what it isn't. Mm. You know, it's like complaining about seeing a horror film and saying why was there no dance number in it. Oh, I mean, but 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 sometimes you can have a dance number in a horror and it does make sense. <laughs> if it's doing it in that context, but usually within the genre trappings you understand what they are. Yeah. And this isn't anything that's trying to subvert this genre. It's trying to work within this genre. Yeah. Really, that's what FDR's whole shtick is. Loving homages to classic wrestling. And this is their loving homage to Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine. Yeah. To all of those, you know, bunkhouse funk fights. But also, within the story, it's a genre change that the Briscoes needed. Mm-hmm. Well, I like how it is that FDR go to them quick, because it is that sense of we're in their world, so we need to strike first and strike hard and then over the course of that brawl in the crowd the briscoes are able to regain control because it is them in their elements yeah i think dax early doors you know like he, he definitely wants to go against jay <sighs> mark briscoe strikes me as weird jay's definitely the leader but mark's like i'm, I'm pretty chill with you guys conceptually but i'm gonna mess you up mark's whole thing has always been that he's an eccentric I think I've said this story before. 
and I think they play it up at times that when all the Ring of Honor roster did like an IQ test, he came second only to Brian Danielson. Yeah, I do remember. I think I can't remember if it was for FDR Briscoes one or FDR Briscoes two. When Jay's cutting a promo, it's like I oh, know it is for two. It's like yeah, you beat us that night, but you know, two out of three falls, there'll be a definite like definitive winner. And Marx is making himself chocolate milk right yeah. next to him. <laughs> well, I wonder with that, it's partly the accents. Maybe it's also like Mark is an eccentric person, but also very early in Mark's career, he lost all of his teeth in a, in a wrestling match. Like a chair got swung and just caught him full in the mouth. Ah. And they've just played that up every time since then that he comes out with like most of his teeth missing. <laughs> and, you know, with the whole big scraggly beards and... I like it though. I like. Oh, yeah, I love. I, like I the love their promos. I love their gimmicks. I'm glad they got rid of the Confederacy imagery, which again they're from Delaware. <laughs> it never made sense in the first place. Yeah, I, I, when I, when I when someone highlighted that and I saw exactly where Delaware was, I'm like, <laughs> come on now, lads. <laughs> <laughs> so there were fewer like well mapped out spots. There were still some there. And there was all your, you know, our classic Chekhov's gunning. But I do love how there were two sides to it. There was the table on one side and the stack of chairs on the other. So it was a mystery where it was going to end up. Oh, yeah, that that was quite clever. There, there was like little bits of crisp suplexing uh, from Dax. But it's the sort of duality of it all with FTR in this match. Because yes, there's those crisp like uh, suplexes. But Dax also at one point tries and... Bless him, sort of has to hold it in place, wraps chains around his head to do a diving headbutt. I'm like, just just, just do some house. Do some house. Well, it was just meant to be a cool spot. That's what they're, that's always meant to be. And that's what wrestling is, memorable moments. But I do love that the combination of a lack of hair and a lot of sweat and blood meant he just was not sticking. So in the end, he just had to go, after about too long for him standing up there, he's like, fuck it, I'm going down and just holding it in place yeah. on his head as he does so but i do love they they do do some clever bits one of the briscoes has one of ftr hung over the ropes you know that classic dog collar spot where the victim's on the outside basically being hung from the guy on the inside but because that means that the chain is so taut that i think it's dax whips jay into the chain so it's like the chain just clotheslines him that I was one. I kind of expected more spots like that from FTR because they do love doing those clever, mapped out within the rules kind of thing. Playing about with the rules, yeah. So they're not doing. They're obviously not cutting a corner in half and trying to you know strategize in that way. But instead, they're using the creativity of the rules in different ways. But that's also not a planned team spot. That's because it's like a shifting of momentum. Yeah, and also because of that. You don't have long periods of domination. You don't have them being double teamed that often. And I do like it. Like, there's a moment where I think Mark is planning to dive onto Cash on the outside. And then he realizes that Jay has Dax up for the Doomsday device. So he changes because he's like, well, this is our chance to win it all. And so he plans to go for the Doomsday device. And that fails, I think or I can't remember what happens there specifically, but obviously that gives Cash enough time to recover as well. Is that when he's like yeeted onto the pile of chairs? Yes, that's yes, that's it. Yes, that's the, the moment. Because they do, they do have FTR do the doomsday device on them earlier on with Cash wrapping the chain around his arm before doing the clothesline. It's a decent protection of Big Rig as well because it's never attempted in this match. 
Mm. Yes, that's true, actually. There's not even any... That is true. They don't do any big kick-out of that or anything. No. Which is odd, because I, I swear they did do... Not a kick-out, but a very late save. They must have done it in FDR, Briscoe's 2. Maybe it's because of the move. Because you'd be chained to one of the guys. Maybe there's whiplash elements to it. Well, that's the scary thing. And I always get nervous in those moments when they do the bit where someone gets yanked just by the neck. And it's always a frightening moment in these matches. I think so long as you know when to go with that and take a good flat back, you should be fine. We've watched at least three dog collar matches in the last 12 months because obviously we had the Punk MJF one. And in the build-up to that for Match of the Week, we covered Punk versus Raven in Ring of Honor for the dog collar match. 2022 was sort of the year of the dog collar match with Punk against MJF and FTR against the Briscoes. It's not like it fell out of favour, but it was never a popular one. It was never one that WWE really liked to use. It was probably too violent for them. No. They had, like, leather strap matches and Texas bull rope matches. But again, I guess just that the, the neck element of it. I know that, obviously, Dusty Rose loved those matches back in the day. And there were a few in WCW. I remember Chris Jericho and Perry Saturn had one, actually. Hmm. It, it seemed to burst back onto the scene, a la Micah Richards, once they did the Brody Lee versus Cody Rhodes one. Yes, of course. That was the one before then as well. So it, it's making a bit of a comeback, and I think it will be a, a, a go-to in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if, during MJF's reign as champion, someone makes him have a dog collar match. Maybe Wardlow, if they reignite that feud. Well, if they were not Wardlow, full stop, but I won't get into that. <laughs> With this match as well, like, it's carnage, like I've, I've mentioned in many ways. There are both, both teams do do a little bit of double teaming as well. They both isolate a team member at one point. There's blood, blood all over the shop, including Mike Posey, bless him. <laughs> yeah, that is the second time that I can recall that to get across just how brutal the match is that they have the referee blade. Do you know the other time I'm thinking of? Uh, you, yeah, we talked about this the other day. Yes, I do. I was going to like, raise a slightly different example, but they both take place in the same structure. So you're talking about uh, Tim White in Triple H versus Jericho. Yeah, the recently departed Tim White. And that was the match where he separated his shoulder, taking the bump that I guess he bladed from. The irony being that the blood was what would get the attention, but it was actually just the physical bump itself that did basically end his career as a referee. Yeah, the example I was going to use was Paul Heyman in the first Brock Lesnar Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. That also took place in 2002. That was also, I remember the Undertaker's blade job in that one was just gruesome. There was a moment in it where he hit Brock Lesnar with a surprise last ride, and he pins him, and his blood like pours onto... Brock Lesnar's, like, mouth and chin. So the idea that probably some of Undertaker's blood went into his mouth. Yeah, and I suppose it's for that reason that he got so angry in a different feud when he found out Bob Orton lied about his status with a blood-borne disease. Yeah, yeah. Talked about it so often how in the last few years blood has just made such a huge comeback into wrestling outside of the WWE. The use of blood is good... When it's contextual. And part of it being contextual is that it is used sparingly. Because if it's done all the time, then what is the context? Yeah, that is the problem. That it's used uh, within the logic of what this match is, but it's not being used sparingly. 
you know, they probably bled in at least one of these matches already. I don't know. But... Yeah, but that again kind of links into the the created chaos of this match that the Briscoes did by making it double dog collar. Mm. The thing is, when it comes to blade jobs, the Briscoes know their stuff. I remember Jay Briscoe, the blading that he does to himself in a cage match he had with Samoa Joe, and this was early in Ring of Honor's run. It was so gruesome that it almost looked like like there was tissue coming off of his face. You know, oh. it, was like, it was like congealed blood. Yeah. You know, that sort of... And he just knows how to do it, because God, the blood that Jay Briscoe... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, like you say, this match is just... It's not about being clever. It's about outlasting your opponents in brutality. And every, all guys doing these big moves, and there's not as much thought in it. It's not, it's not strategy that wins the day for the Briscoes particularly... It's just survival. Yeah, like if Dax had hit the top rope pile driver onto the chairs, then he would have done so. That shout of fucking murder him before he tries to get that set up as well. The one thing we do get is the one of those classic FTR moments where how it finishes. Obviously, you remember the DIY match where they're both locked in submission holds and they're both trying to stop the other one from tapping, and then they tap collectively. They don't do that. And they also say that he doesn't... Ta- it was the way that the camera was positioned, I didn't really get a sense of how it finished. I don't have him as like, tapping. I have him as passing out. Yeah, but we didn't even see his face pass out, you know? And I didn't see the ref, like, raising the hand to... Well, that they've they've stopped doing that now. If you notice, in AEW, when they call pass-outs, they don't do the... They sometimes do the arm raise spot if they want the guy to do a two and he's recovering. But when they call a match, they don't even do that. I think it's like in the UFC when they don't let the ground and pound shots after someone's been rocked, where it's just like, no, he's done. You don't need to do anything else. He's done. <laughs> I get that. I get that that's the UFC, and it's the UFC that created the notion of tapping out in wrestling, whereas before it was always the, you know, them sort of, the Saying motion you get is them nodding their head yeah. and the referee them motioning it. So you never got that quite as triumphant moment that you get now with the tap. There's that immediacy to it. Yeah. I just think it, the the angle that they went was the wrong one, and they again. I, I think there's been a common criticism of Ring of Honor shows that very often there is a like there is a moment early on where Cash pulls Mark back or Mark pulls Cash back, and we didn't see it the first time. They had to do an action replay of it. Look, we've been spoiled over the years with like production values with the WWE camera cuts, not so much at times, but production values definitely, and. At the end of the day, Ring of Honor, I don't know how much of their video crew they kept from their original days when Tony Khan bought it. It's an art form. It takes time. There's not that many people in the world that can do it, let alone do it at the peak that we've been spoiled by at times. I was just looking. Does anyone actually go through the table in the end? Um, That's a bloody good point. I don't have any notes saying who did it. I think the sign that, because of how huge the spots are, that it wasn't even immediately memorable. Unlike Cash throwing Mark onto the stack of chairs, and or that very early moment of a chair just being yeeted right in the face of Jay. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful chaos is how I could describe it. I don't know if I describe it as beautiful, but it was effective. Well, I, this is where bias is seeping in because we've joked that I'm a little bit more razzle dazzle then you are technical wrestling. And this is razzle-dazzle, but it's not showy razzle-dazzle. It's gritty razzle-dazzle. Stop saying razzle-dazzle in there. (laughs) And that's why I like it. And 
because I've seen the, the previous two matches, I've got the context behind it. So that's why I'm enjoying this so much. Now, I would say this is my second favourite of the three. So yeah, I will probably go four and three quarter stars for the first match. Four and a half stars for this match. Four and a quarter stars for the two out of three falls match. Uh, where would you lie with this one? I love the whole storytelling within within the match. And there weren't many callbacks to previous matches. Because they call back to the final spot of the previous match twice because Dax hit the pile driver on a chair. He turned him over and it was like the old, the way that he pinned him the last time where they just turned over and he was like face down out of it and just his legs were over Jay's shoulders. But this time Jay was able to kick out whereas he wasn't when they did the second rope version of that last time. And then he obviously goes for the top rope even more, you know, the fucking murder him suggestion that cash makes so because i've like gone through all the narrative thread and we've talked about how fair is that on matches that we see in isolation but we have gone through the whole narrative thread with it the fact remains and how it plugs into that as a whole i'm giving it five stars for that but but i accept that if it was a match i watched in isolation it could come across as Violence for violence sake. Dirty excess, yes. I've given the metric with my knowledge, and that's five. But I accept if I was just watching this match in isolation and we hadn't, I hadn't covered, what, watched Briscoe, FDR Briscoe's one and two, I probably wouldn't give it a five. It's curious, actually, because you gave the second match five stars as well. And I can't remember if you gave the first one five stars. So that's crazy. So to you, the first is the weakest of the three. Yes, but again, it's it's how... I, I, and this is why I want to highlight, I think that's more my prism of viewing wrestling than me being objective. Hence why I wanted to put that caveat of if I watch this match without watching the first two, I'd be like, it's just... I, I would have the thoughts of there's a lot of blood. Like, come on, lads. It's weird as well because it's like it's not like... They, they did the show of respect. And then I remember in the second one, they sort of did it, but it seemed like the Briscoes were kind of resentful of the attitude behind it at this point. And it is curious how you do it, that FTR win the series 2-1, but Briscoes come out of it with the belts. And I suppose that's the best way that you can book a, a best of three series where someone has to win. Well, you say that, but then Jericho won the last MJF uh, match against MJF. So it's like to win the feud, even though MJF's the up-and-coming talent. So I don't know. Well, I think it's traditional in most of those instances to make the babyface win. And MJF is so utterly... Reprehensible. Yeah, but also just... Too, certain losses just don't aren't a problem for MJF. He's a bit more you know. bulletproof than... He got others. squashed by Wardlow, and the very next match he had, he wins the world title. So, I mean, where do we go from here? The words coming out all weird. Where are you now, Simon? But there's all this talk with FTR, and obviously FTR thought that they had a lot of options available to them. Given the chaos that's going on right now, maybe there is less of an option for them. And I will say as well, I, I realised in 2022 in review, we never said what our favourite match of the year was, and I think I will probably go with Briscoe's FTR 1 as my favourite match of 2022. Your least favourite match of the series is my favourite match of that year. Because obviously this has been like a month of FTR going on a losing streak. And the idea being that everything that they went through has, has caught up with them. They've had to wrestle on a schedule of defending three titles. Again, something that Rickabonny and Coleman bring up in commentary. 
maybe if all they'd been during this time was Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, maybe they would have gone into this in better shape. And and they the start of their fall was also them not managing to get the fourth belt because they lose to the acclaimed. What? Uh, well, there was a creative mess up, really, because they were number one contenders for way too long. I don't think that was a mess up. I think this is this was the way Tony kind of think always planned to do it. I genuinely do. Or at least it was always a way that he knew that it was available to him. And again, it didn't hurt. The acclaim got the big win over the team that's been built up over the past year. But FDR have an in-storyline logic for why they're losing at this point. Because just as they were hitting a hot streak, now they're hitting a bad streak because they're just they're mentally and physically worn down. Hence them also losing a semi-fluke loss to the gun club who turn up after all this and beat them up. And and the idea is that the gun club aren't really in their league, but they're getting this. And I, I kind of wondered if maybe they were going to have FTR beat the gun club in their blow-off match, but then leave AEW for a while to spend this year that I've always kind of think that FTR have kind of had in the back of their minds of traveling the world, picking up, you know, facing every mega indies top team. And doing a couple of shows at each of those ones, doing the convention circuit, making a ton of money, maybe collecting even more belts, looking like even more bigger badasses. You know, admittedly they're walking around with Rev Pro tag belts and Progress tag belts and ICW tag belts and PWA Australia tag belts. They don't mean as much to the public, but if you see those photos of them, and then they come back nine, twelve months later to either AEW or WWE ready to be plugged straight back into their scene. It's certainly an option. Have they ever they've never won the AEW tag titles, so I think They've won them. Well they have, sorry, no they did, yes. They beat Omega and Page for them. Yeah. But the fact that their reign just doesn't seem that memorable to me because they immediately went into the Young Bucks feud and they sort of creatively they sort of ruined that by saying, Oh, if we for the first match, if the Young Bucks lose we'll never challenge for the belts again. So yeah, you're right, they have, but it, it was very forgettable. Yeah, but again, it's one of those things, like, it doesn't... The, what FTR have proven is you can be heated up again and become the hottest act in wrestling in such a short space of time. People don't care, really, about that first reign and it being a disappointment. No. Because they're having these kick-ass matches now, and they're being booked strong now, and they're building... And they've the, the gimmick works within it. Yeah. So the idea of them going away and being the hottest act, the hottest free agents, literally... Those nine months could even do another run in New Japan and trade back the tag, the IWGP tag titles, or they could go to Noah. They could go to All Japan. They could go to DDT. They could do whatever they wanted. They could go to CMLL and pick up the CMLL tag titles for a while. Yeah, they are in that position. I do agree where they they have the influence to do whatever they want and earn big bucks doing it. What I think I was trying to say is I I personally feel a little, and it's not at them. I'm I'm not criticizing them. I'm just a little disappointed with just because all these great matches haven't been in AEW, which is where they've been based. That's not true at all. They had a fantastic match against the Young Bucks, their their rematch against the Young Bucks. They've had all those great matches in singles and in tag with CM Punk. Mm. And part of one of the, the reasons that they allowed FTR this freedom was because, as everyone's pointed out, the AEW roster is so bloated that let's let them go out there and have these matches. Elsewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. They, yeah, 
that is a factor. I don't know. I, do, I guess just to me... But that, that means there's just more avenues. That means there's loads of acts that somehow they haven't interacted with in AEW that makes them fresh. Or... And so they could now just go into a feud with Top Flight. They could go into a feud with the Blackpool Combat Club. Oh, now there's something. <laughs> All these opportunities are available to them. They could turn heel and go after the Acclaimed and win it back at, and start a second reign, go into a longer feud with the Acclaimed. The possibilities are endless. I'm just saying that I think if I were FTR, I would take the net, I would make 2023 the year of travel. Because they're, they're quite, you know, the guy is approaching their 40s already. So you got make hay while the sun shines and have some experiences. Oh, yeah. Get your paper and get out. I do accept that point. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. They can do stuff on the indie scene with Jim Cornette. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Could go to GCW. Could go wherever. Could turn up in ROH for a little while. Yeah. You know, if they wanted to do that. But I also think that AEW can very easily plug them back into wherever they need to go. And obviously, if a certain cult of personality turns up and they want to do that dream six-man tag it's there for everyone to enjoy that's where the money could be printed absolutely i just think you know as long as dax maybe reigns in the voice a bit then that's where they can go and as for the briscoes i guess they'll be 17 18 time champions by the time either they go or ring of honor goes And, well, yeah, we don't know which of the two it'll be. It's a shame, because he does seem to have, like, apologised for his remarks, Jay. He does seem remorseful. It was such a long time ago. There does seem to be a massive inconsistency with who gets what kind of level of punishment. I've said it before. I said it, I think I said it in the previous episode. I think a big problem is how he looks. And I think that's executives look at, oh, look, this redneck said this thing. I don't want to touch him. The irony, eh, Simon? The irony. The ironing is delicious. Hey, but it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Well, we have thoroughly yanked the chain of conversation around the place with this one. That sounded quite lewder than I intended to, as far as a metaphor goes. (laughs) But the five-star matches continue. None of this five-and-a-half-star match stuff. With our next match... It's New Japan wrestlers, but not as we know it, Simon. <laughs> this is a weird one. Oh, God, yeah. Didn't see this five-star coming. No. Last we... five-star match of 2022 as well. We got completely bowled over by this. We were bowled at Googly. It, you say not as we know it. One half is, because it's Shingo Takagi. But the other one's Tai Chi. It's bloody Tai Chi, guys. And it's for the flipping King of Pro Wrestling Championship. Get in there, Taichi. It's a New Japan match, but it's being fought under double gimmick stipulations. <sighs> it's a lumberjack. Well, it's called Last Man Standing, but I think it's actually being fought under Texas Deathmatch rules, which are where you have to be pinned and then they start the counts. But that's where we've got to go. We, we might actually have to spend money in order to watch this match. So I'll actually make a plug for the Patreon, which we don't really usually do. But if you go to patreon.com slash lmtyspod, I feel like throwing a few pennies our way to pay for these sorts of things. This is a special pay-per-view event. It was Takamichinoku and Taichi's version of a 50th anniversary, where they pulled together Michinoku's 30th anniversary and Taichi's 20th anniversary to get 50 out of it. Fusion! <laughs> 
but until then, Simon, if people want to talk to you about any kind of fusion, tag team, numerical, cold, that thing that's hopefully going to power energy for our grandchildren, <laughs> our direct grandchildren, our theoretical grandchildren, how can they do so? All right, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm signing a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of washes everyone in the front row had to do to get the mixture of blood that was splashed on them out of their clothes. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in achy neck. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod at gmail.com. LMTWisePod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time. Me packed into